So I'm just curious, how many of you grew up in a faith tradition like me where you practice confession on a regular basis? You confessed your sins. I see some people are like, oh, it's okay, I did. I, I, and as I've grown older, I actually have learned it's a really good thing to be able to confess your sins, to be able to say, I, I, I messed this up, I screwed this up. There's something about it that just, it helps me walk through life a little better. And so I have a confession to share with all of you. And before I confess, it's not like terrible you're going to want me to come back next week, I think, I hope, at least. Maybe you've been waiting for the chance for me to leave. This is your chance, right? And you'd be like, get him out of here. But I have a dark side of my heart that I don't like people to know. I have multiple dark sides of my heart that I don't want people to know about. And this is just one small example. So about a week and a half ago, we were having an issue in one of our gin kids' classrooms. We had water that was dripping and into these ceiling tiles, and it soaked up all the water, and they fell on the ground. They exploded everywhere. It was a mess. And there were like five tiles that needed to be replaced. So we thought we had the problem solved. It was late on a Thursday afternoon. And I thought somebody needs to replace those tiles, but our staff is off tomorrow. I'm just going to go ahead and replace the tiles, okay? Now, I'm going to say this. In the five years that I've been here at Genesis, prior to that, I had never replaced a ceiling tile. I have replaced enough ceiling tiles, I personally, to cover an Amazon facility, okay? <laughs> and I just want you to know, it's not as easy as you think. In fact, I talked to a guy after first service and he said, my bud, he's, he's actually a facilities guy at a local school. He said, my belief is that you are not right. With, if you're not right with the Lord and you go to hell, you're gonna be changing ceiling tiles for the rest of your life. That's how awful it is. You're on a ladder, you're in the air, you're 12 feet in the air, fiberglass in your eyes, you're sweating, you're shaking. I'll stop there. It's, it's not a pleasant experience. And so I'm up there on this ladder wrestling with these things trying not to break them. And this thought entered my head, okay? And I'm not proud of this, but this is what I thought. I hope the people of Genesis Church appreciate all the non-pastoral things that I do <laughs> around here, okay? That's the PG-13 version. So I'm up on the ladder and I'm like, I get off the ladder and I'm like, gosh, unbeknownst to anyone, no one knew that I was there, what I was doing. My friend John sent this picture to our men's group thread, okay? And as soon as I saw it, like literally stepped off the ladder, wiping fiberglass off my eyes, and I was like, I get you, Ned, I see you. <laughs> Guys like us need to be recognized for all the things that we do, big or small, right? Now, look, for the record, I'm not looking for your pity. If you like to change ceiling tiles, I have a job for you, but I'm not proud of how petty I am in this. But I'm confessing that to you because here's the thing. I don't think it's just me and Ned. I think all of us deep down, we have a way that we view work and jobs and serving other people. And I think that there's a couple of thoughts that we hold on to. Like, I wanna do work that makes me feel important. The work that I do, I want people to look at and be like, oh, that's important. Only a couple people could do it like that, right? And I wanna be recognized for the work that I do, right? And I know this isn't just me. But I think if you go down a layer deeper, if we were really honest, I think there's a thought somewhere in our heart that says, I'd like to do as little work as possible, but get maximum recognition. That would be ideal, right? People just praise me for everything that I do all the time. Now, here's the thing. I don't think it's because we're inherently lazy, and I don't think that it's because we don't value hard work. I just think that deep down in our hearts, that's kind of how we, how we view things. And I think it's safe to say that we have these thoughts running in our head. So here's a question. Would you rather be recognized for a job well done or just go about your business without anyone ever noticing, even if you're doing great? Would you rather 
If you had the choice, would you rather be in charge or be told what to do? Now, there's not a right or a wrong. There's not a good, a better, or a best. This isn't, this isn't a test. I just think that a lot of us are like Ned, and we bend in the direction of, I just want to do important jobs, and I want people to throw a party for me every time I make my kids lunch in the morning, right? I want someone somewhere to notice. My wife does that typically, by the way, so she deserves the praise there, right? But you get it, right? Like, it's just, there's something in our heart. Now, I don't know that it's bad or that it's wrong, but here's the kicker. It's not what Jesus modeled. And today we're going to see him not only teach, but model something for his followers that's different. And we're going to see this as we jump into John chapter 13. Now, since the beginning of the year, we've been in this study that we've called Grow. And we're studying throughout this year through the gospel of John. And from January to May, we covered John chapter 1 through John chapter 12. We took a break for the summer. And then last week, we jumped into the last part of John chapter 12. And we're going to be in John until the end of November. And it's been really good. And we've had a few really basic prayers for our church family. We've said we wanted to grow individually as we study the life of Jesus. And we want to grow as a church family to become the followers that he's calling us to be. Now, if you need to get caught up on any or all of those teachings, if you're like, I feel left out, you can download our app. You can go to YouTube and find us there. I would recommend searching for Church Genesis. Our logo should pop up towards the top. Or if you'd like to podcast, just search for Genesis Church Carmel or Genesis Church Noblesville. You can get caught up if you want to. But here's what you need to know. Last week, in John chapter 12, the last part of John chapter 12, we looked at Jesus' final public words. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record all kind of teachings, but his final public words. And in his final public words, he says, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And one of the things we said was, well, that's okay, Jesus, but really I think what you meant to say was crucified. Because in 24 hours after saying that, he's going to be arrested, brutally beaten, and eventually going to be crucified and, and killed, right? But Jesus said, no, it's time for me to be glorified. And, and from an earthly perspective, glorified and crucified, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, they're not, they don't even line up from where we stand. Right? But what we're going to see is what Jesus is going to show us, what he's modeling for us, is a heavenly perspective of glorification means you, it's not an upward trend. It starts by going down, and then it eventually swings up. And what we, see in Jesus, what we see Jesus living out for us is he humbled himself, but in humbling himself, he became humiliated, and then he eventually was killed, and then there's the glorification part where he is resurrected to new life and seated at the right hand of, of the Father. And so that's what we're going to be seeing play out over these next few weeks. But for now, we're going to jump into John chapter 13, verse 1. So we've gone from a public setting, now we're in a private environment. John 13, 1 says this, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to his Father. So just stop there for a moment. A couple of things. John gives us a really important timestamp that's going to set the stage for the next several weeks because in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and then 17, we're going to see one really long conversation. And they're sitting at this dinner before Passover, and at some point it's going to move to the Garden of Gethsemane and beyond. But he's letting us know it's right before Passover. So that tells us that likely he and his disciples are, are sitting down to celebrate the Passover Seder. It was a very special meal. We're going to talk more about that 
next week. But for now, I want us to pay attention to the details that John shares in verse one, where he says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to his father. In other words, Jesus knew he was getting ready to die and he was getting ready to rise and be reunited with his father. Now, I want you to imagine what that would be like. And it's easy for us to say, well, if you knew you were gonna rise from the dead, that's not a big deal. But last week, Jesus said, I'm in turmoil over this. This isn't like it's an easy thing for me, right? So we know that his soul is in turmoil using his own words. And then he says this, look at what else he says. At the end of verse one, or John tells us, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now I'm in two different groups. I'm in a men's group and a group that meets in our home on Thursday nights. And we're reading a little bit ahead which helps me kind of prepare for messages. I love to hear people's perspective on this before I speak on it. And both groups, both groups of people noted this detail. And they noticed, isn't it interesting that Jesus referred to his disciples as his own? And one young lady said, it just speaks to like this deep intimacy that he had with them. He didn't view them as students or minions or work buddies or even just his friends. He viewed them as his own. And he had chosen the 12 of them specifically. And over the last three and a half years, he has taught them everything that he has learned from his heavenly father. He has been preparing them for this mission that he has for them. And soon he's going to die in their place for their sins. And John simply just ends by saying, he loved them until the very end. Now, I want you to think about this. Don't don't rush past this detail. John the writer of the gospel of John was one of the 12. He is saying, this is how Jesus viewed us. And so I just, I can't help but picture him tearing up as he's recording this for us. I think he's, what he's saying is, please pay attention because I want you to know the depth at which he modeled his love for us. It was, it was beyond anything we had ever seen. So here's a question. Well, actually, before we get to the next thing, here's something I want you to think about. We also learn from scripture that Jesus views us, the rest of his followers, in the same way that he viewed those 12. There's a uniqueness about this story, but he knows the intimate details of every one of our lives. He, he, he loves us so personally. And so here's the question, what would it mean for him to love them, to love us to the very end? Well, we're gonna get there, but let's keep reading. Verse two. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, if you're just reading this, maybe you're reading it for the first time, you're thinking, that's a weird detail. Like, why is John telling us that? Isn't it more important that they're at their last supper? Well, they didn't know that they were at the last supper. They just thought they were at supper with Jesus. And so John is saying, we had no idea what was going on, but in hindsight, what I do know is that Satan was working off in the background, trying to take Jesus out. There's this powerful picture of a spiritual battle that was taking place that the disciples were completely unaware of. And again, we're gonna jump into that in greater detail next week. But have you ever sat down to a meal that just felt like there was a lot of tension, a lot of negative spiritual energy there? And some of you are thinking, yes, every Thanksgiving with my in-laws, right? Well, here's the difference. It's just your mother-in-law and father-in-law. Jesus was contending with Satan himself. So just imagine what's happening at this meal. And John says, well, it's important that you know who's in charge. Look at verse three. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So in other words, John says, don't forget this. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew where his identity was centered in his heavenly Father. And he knew that the Father had put everything under his authority, including Satan. And so Jesus was just going to keep moving forward in obedience to carry out this plan of glorification. Now, it's pretty fascinating. And again, we're going to dive into it in greater detail next week, but I want you to see what Jesus does next. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, again, we know from verse one that they're sitting down to a very important special meal. And traditionally at these meals, before they would recline at a table, someone would do the job of washing their feet. And it's worth noting that foot washing was a disgusting job. It was a job that was reserved for the lowest servant in the house. Okay, so there's that. But I also want you to pay attention to what John says next. And I want you to pay attention to how he, how he shares it. He gives us these really quick hitting statements. He says this, he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, one commentator that I read said, that reads just like an eyewitness account. It's just these really quick hitting statements. And I think maybe what John is communicating is the awe and wonder as they watch. They're like, what's he doing? Why is he getting up? Why is he? He looks like a servant. Why is he getting on the ground? He's just given us these quick staccato statements to say, guys, I was in the room and it was, we could not figure out what was happening. Verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Verse eight, Peter says, no, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Now, if you don't know anything about Peter, I wanna encourage you to study up on his life because I think you will be encouraged to know he is a lot like, well, I don't know if he's a lot like you, he's a lot like me. He's always speaking out and sometimes he gets it right and sometimes he gets it wrong, but at least he's the one that's willing to say, there's something that's not right with this, Jesus. And it's easy for us to assume that he's being difficult or dramatic because it kind of reads that way, but I want you to stop for a moment and put yourself in his position. Imagine tonight, you're sitting down to dinner, the doorbell rings and Jesus shows up. That would be awesome. And then he walks in the house and he says, I'm, I'm here to wash your feet. And he gets down on the ground to wash your feet. Are you gonna let him do that? Forget that it's Jesus. Let's just say that you're eating dinner with your family and somebody says, I would like to wash everybody's feet tonight. And you're gonna say, you're not touching my feet. Get away from me, right? Because feet have this reputation for being gross and dirty. And the, the thought of someone just casually touching your foot freaks us out. It's completely taboo to like wash people's feet. We were discussing this portion of scripture in our connection group a few weeks ago. And as we were reading it, I looked around the room and people started sitting on their feet. My wife had her toes tucked under her chair. So she didn't want anybody to see her feet, right? Because feet are gross. We don't talk about them. We don't, we don't look at them. It's, it's just a thing that you don't do in our culture, but maybe it helps to think of it like this. I want you to think of the person that you respect the most outside of Jesus, okay? Who's the person that you respect the most and what is a job you would never, ever, ever want them to do for you? 
That's what's happening here. So when I asked that to our connection group, there's a young guy that said, well, I think I got an, I got an example. So I live with my, I'm single and I live with my um, roommate, gosh, roommate that's single. And we're pretty gross. And I would never ask my girlfriend to clean our toilet because that's disgusting. And I was like, that is a great example, right? Because you love her, you respect her. It's a, it's a disgusting thing. Now, if they end up getting married, I bet that changes be like, ah, you go ahead. I'll, I'll do other things. You clean the toilet, right? But that's like, it's a really gross job. You're like, don't go near it. I think that's what Peter's thinking here. He's like, this is gross. And you're my teacher. You're my rabbi. You're my master. There's no way. There is no way you're going anywhere near my feet, Jesus. But what we see in this story is that Jesus, he's not just telling his disciples. He's actually showing them. He's modeling something for them. And in, in order to do that, he's going to turn up every, he's going to take every social norm and flip it upside down. He's going to take and do the role that is reserved for the lowest servant in the house in order to, I think, share a tender moment of intimacy with them. I think he wants to break through every barrier to be able to look at them and to say, this is how much I love you. And look at what, it, remember back to verse seven when Peter says, there's no way. And Jesus says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you're gonna understand. Now, I wanna circle back to that in a minute, but first look at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, this is really important. I'm, I'm learning as I'm studying scripture that anytime something is repeated, we should pay attention because so, whoever's speaking, whoever's writing, they're making a point. And Jesus says, teacher and Lord and Lord and teacher. It's, it's repeated, okay? So Jesus acknowledges, I am your superior and I'm telling you what I want you to do, but I'm not just telling you, I'm actually showing you what I want you to do and I'm showing you how to do it. And so how do you think he did it? Was he, was he angry and rigid? Was he forceful and irritated? Was he like me and Ned? Was he looking for some recognition? According to verse one, he viewed each one of them as his very own and he loved them to the end, which tells me that he washed their feet with tenderness and care. I don't think he was rushing through it. I think he wanted them to know, I, I love you. I love you in ways you cannot even imagine. And I'm also wanna, I'm showing you something that I want you to do. And I'm showing you how I want you to do it. Look at verse 15. He says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, pay close attention because I'm gonna ask you to do this. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So he says, I've given you an example, but then he revisits his relationship with them and their relationship to him. He says, no master is greater than the servant, right? Or no servant's greater than the master. You know that you're the servant, I'm the master. But then he says this, he says, and the messenger's not greater than the one that's sending them. Now that's a really interesting analogy. He's defining something about his relationship to them. And I want you to think about this in light of the fact that Jesus has just washed their feet. I want you to hear these words that were written down for us in the book of Isaiah 
700 years before Jesus walked the earth, this was written. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now here's what I think is interesting, okay? Peter says, do not wash my feet. Jesus says, you don't understand this right now, but soon you'll understand. I think as Jesus was washing their feet, he was preparing them for his mission of going to take the good news. In the New Testament, the word that we use is the gospel. That's what it means. The good news is the fact that he had come to die in our place, that he has come through faith. We are made right in him, and we get to, through faith, live out new lives, and we get to declare, we get to bring good news. We proclaim peace and good tidings and salvation. And I think as Jesus is washing their feet, he's thinking, I I don't know this, this is just my speculation, but I think he's thinking of this passage and saying, you'll understand later. This will all make sense one day. And then if you look at verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you've ever wanted to know how to be blessed by God, Jesus says, well, now that you know this, I want you to do it and it will result in a blessing. Now, I've got a question, and this is not a trick question, okay? If someone were to ask you, hey, what'd you learn about today? What's John 13, 1 through 17 about? What would you say? Wouldn't we be, like, wouldn't we just say, well, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and he wants us to wash other people's feet? I mean, it seems really, really obvious, right? First, he washes their feet. Verse 14, he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I've set an example for you to follow In verse 17, you'll be blessed if you do these things. So the point of this is that we wash one another's feet. We wash other people's feet. And every time I've ever heard this message taught or if I'm in a conversation with other followers of Jesus, it naturally kind of makes its way to a question. And it's not a bad question, but the question is typically, well, whose feet is Jesus calling you to wash? And it's something that we like pray about and like, okay, God, like whose feet do you want me to wash? Not a bad question, but I don't think that's the point. The more I've studied this, the more I've discussed this with other people, the more I've sat on it, I think if you ask the question, whose feet am I supposed to wash, you're actually limiting. You're saying, well, there's certain people, but I I wouldn't be willing to wash everybody's feet. I think the point of this story is to not ask the question. We just follow Jesus' example and we wash everyone else's feet. It's what he does, it's what he says, and he says, now that you know, you'll go do this. Maybe it helps to think of it like this. Don't ask who, just go and do. Do you see the difference between the two? It sounds kind of Dr. Seuss, I know, but you, you, it'll stick with you. That rhymes too. Oh man, I'm, I'm on a roll right now. If we only ask the question, we're actually limiting, or at least I am. I, I know I'm like, well, if I ask the question, I don't... I, Definitely wouldn't be that person. But Jesus modeled, he washed all of their feet. He washed Peter's feet, and he said, Peter, you're getting ready to deny me. He washed Judas' feet, and he was getting ready to betray him. He said, I've given you an example. There's no outs here. Guys, I've done it in a way to express my love for you. And it's easy for us to think through things like, well, yeah, but, like, there's this guy, and I help him all the time, and he never helps me. I watch her kids and she never offers to help. 
there's these ceiling tiles that need to be replaced. Surely somebody else is going to do it. Like we, we like push it off on everybody else. But Jesus says, I've given you an example. You'll be blessed if you do what I've shown you how to do. So what are you going to do with that? I would encourage you not to pray, show me whose feet, but maybe join me in, in saying, okay, Lord, <laughs> help me to be humble enough to wash the next person's feet that I come in contact with. You know, last week, Jesus gave this example. He said, it's, the time has come for me to die, but then he also said, and I want my followers to follow me where I'm going. My followers will follow me where I'm going. Learn to die to yourself. Follow my example. I think this week he is saying, as my followers, I want you to follow my example and to serve everyone, and there's no limits. There's no boundaries. There's no borders. When I graduated uh, college several years ago, landed a great job at a great company in Louisville, Kentucky. And um, I was so excited to work there. I thought I'd never leave this place. There were amazing people, amazing people that poured into me and developed me. It was great. But as always, there's that one person that you work with that like, can ruin it for everybody. And I worked with this, this older lady. She was retirement age, but she could not afford to retire. She needed to support herself, and so she needed to work, but she didn't want to work, and she let us know this on a regular basis. And she had two moods, irritated and nasty. And so as you can imagine, every day you're like, oh my gosh, just please send me into the field. I'll do anything. Get me out of this office, right? And then there was the day that this lady learned that I started following Jesus, and I had been baptized and I'll never forget that day because we went out to lunch as a team that day and she yelled at me in front of my coworkers on the car ride there during lunch on the car ride home and for the rest of the day. And finally, one of my coworkers was like, please just lay off, just give them a break, okay? So that was the work environment with this, this one lady. Well, about a year or so later, she fell and broke her hip and I promise I didn't touch her, I didn't push her, I wasn't even there, okay? I just... I was just there, but I thought, yes, you deserve that. Oh my gosh, you deserve that. Now, she's always grouchy, she's always mean, but now that she broke her hip, well, our little department had been moved to the second floor of the corporate headquarters. So she had to walk with a walker, she had to shuffle all the way across the parking lot, several hundred yards into the building, ride an elevator up, and then shuffle several hundred yards to get to her desk. She's always grouchy, she's always mean. Now she's tired. She's worn out at 9 a.m. And she loves starting her day with a cup of coffee, okay? So she's caffeine deprived. Like, this is the worst case scenario. I thought about quitting my job. I was like, there's, I'm clearly, Lord, you're telling me to quit. But that's not what he said. He said, hey, Jerry, you know what I want you to do? I want you to have a cup of coffee waiting for her tomorrow. I'm like, no way. Have you not been paying attention? God, I thought you did this to her. Teach her a lesson. I'm not getting her coffee. And he said, she likes too sweet and low packets. So I... I just obeyed and I started putting a cup of coffee at her desk with two sweet and low packets. And I'll never forget the first day she got there, she smiled and her face broke. I didn't know that she could smile. <laughs> and she was like, who did this? And I said, I, I did. I know you like coffee. And she's like, thank you so much. And so every day I got in this rhythm of just getting her coffee. Now, I, I know you're thinking, I'm tooting my heart. I'm not. What I didn't, I just thought I was getting her coffee. What Jesus wanted to teach me was this is how you wash people's feet. And here's the payoff. A year later, I'm at my desk and I'm working. I'm typing and doing my thing. And she walks up to the edge of my cube and says, Jerry, I've got a question for you. I need your help. I said, sure, what do you need? And she said, I need you to, I need you to pray for me and my family. 
I literally, I'll never forget where I was sitting. I almost fell out of my chair and I thought, okay. And we prayed. And what I realized was I had, unbeknownst to myself, I've been washing her feet to open up the door to share the gospel with her. And I got to share my faith with her on a regular basis. She asked me to pray regularly. She started Facebook messaging me after I left to pray for her. And I thought, this is so weird. (laughs) Now, that is one small example of one time where the Lord said, I want you to do this thing for that person. Now, don't follow my example follow Jesus's example. He is going to put people in front of us today at home, in our neighborhood, at work, wherever we go. And we're going to want to say, nope, not them. And he's going to say, oh, no, no, no. It's exactly them. And look to your left and to your right. Now, confession, my family's in here. And they know how much I don't enjoy washing. I like to have my feet washed. And so this isn't like this is an easy thing where we're just like, oh, let's go do that. You're going to have to fight against every ounce of pride in you, inside of you, to do this. But Jesus said, this is what it is. In, in 1 John 3.18, John writes this uh, letter to some of his friends, and he says, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show our love by our actions. I think he was remembering back to this final meal where he said, remember what Jesus, Jesus showed us to do. You can't just say it. You have to do it. Now, there's one other aspect of this particular story that I want to share with you that really brings all this together. And and Dan Tao pointed this out to me. This blew my mind. So we read this story and we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet and, and we see an example to follow, but it's actually more than that. Verse four says, he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then it says he got up and he went and he sat back down at the table, likely the the host's seat. One of the great mysteries of our faith is that scripture teaches us that at some point in eternity past, God the Father and God the Son, there was a decision that was made that Jesus was going to set his qualities as God to the side and he was gonna leave heaven and come down, down to the earth And he was gonna be wrapped in flesh like a servant. He became like us, but he didn't just come to the earth. In this story, he went all the way down to wash our feet or wash their feet. And as he washed their feet, he cleaned them. Well, we have been washed by the blood of Jesus through faith in him. Can you see how all this is pointing to the incarnation of who Jesus is and what he has done for us? And then after he did that, After he died and he rose from the dead, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. At the end of this meal, he gets up and he goes and he sits right back where he was. It's a picture of who he is. It's a picture of what he has done for us and it's an example for us to follow. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, don't ask the question, well, whose feet? Just go and wash the next person that's in front of you and ask him, not who, but how. What's it look like? Please give me the humility to be able to do that. Fight against your inner Ned to look for recognition and ask for the Holy Spirit to show you how to do it so that you can not just talk about the gospel, you can model it for people that are around you. Let's pray. Father, your word is so fascinating. We think that these are just stories, but it's, it's clearly so much more than a story. It's an example. 
And Jesus, I believe that that's what we read actually happened. But inside of that, it's a picture of who you are and what you've done. Holy Spirit, would you humble us to see that the Son of God became like us in every way. He modeled humility in a way that just, it does not register with us. And he did not do it for recognition. I don't even think that he did it for people to watch. He knew that it was gonna lead to his glorification, but that just glorifies you, Father. Would you help us to embrace this reality? Would you help us to live this reality out for the glory of your name? so that we could not just speak the gospel, the good news, but we can show it for people. And so today, would you help us to be people that wash feet? Our spouses, our kids, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our enemies and strangers. Forgive us for all the times we have tried to limit who. Please just show us how. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, teach us to follow the example of our teacher and our Lord. It's in his name we pray, amen.